Cofield and Company, live from the Thomas and Mac. Getting ready for a running Rebel game. Hoping uh, the crowd comes out tonight to check out an 8 o'clock start. Right, No excuses. Weekend coming up. And uh, plenty of good uh, fan promotions. We'll talk about those as the show moves along, uh, especially some student initiatives to get the students back out here. But Rebels are playing some pretty good basketball right now. They are. And uh, they host a, a rival, uh, Fresno State. And what do those two have in common? Well, Jerry Tarkanian. Former coach, the late great, legendary Hall of Famer coach Jerry Tarkanian, who, of course, was here for so many years and then went to Fresno State. And somebody who played for Jerry Tarkanian went to the Final Four, the second Final Four team in program history. I am in the place that, well, some may say that you helped build. Welcome to the show, Mark Wade. Mark, how you doing? I'm doing good, Will. How you doing, Steve? My guy, Mark. Out there in Cali, kicking it with us today. Yeah, we're doing good, man. We're fired up. We're really fired up. Um, and, you know, you got sort of a rival spot here, an interesting spot against Fresno. And uh, Fresno, as Willie said, has the history with Tark. So are you keeping an eye on this uh, edition of the Running Rebels and how they're doing so far? Uh, starting to watch a little bit more. I uh, had the opportunity to come out for Freddie Banks' uh, jersey retirement. And then I was telling Willie a little earlier, find out that Bryce Hamilton is actually one of my rivals in good friends with his son i just found out and i feel stupid for not knowing that that's uh kevin hamilton's son and yeah and you're doing some aau workout some great work out there in california now mark when you came out here you you happen to mention to me a glaring difference that you were not too pleased with when you come out here freddie banks one of the greats right one of the ones the big thing the big thing every game that we get on twitter is the 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 three-point streak has been extended it's still intact there's only one program in the history of college basketball that has made a three ever since that was uh installed in college basketball and that is unlv and one of the greats freddie banks uh which you point guard and and and, and led uh and played with and but when you got out here what'd you notice uh the support and i don't know where it begins or what how we start to get it back but it was just kind of a. Uh... Hard to watch a top team like UCLA come to town. I know it was during the holidays, but uh, it would be nice to see these kids get that same support or something similar to what we got back in the 80s, even the 90s, because um, they, they play hard. Coach Kruger has them kids playing hard, and I think if the fans in Las Vegas would come out and give it a shot, I think they would enjoy what they're watching. The electricity that this program, you know, the, some of the some of the people involved in marketing, some of the people involved in sports information, they have been here long enough to remember the days, or even right after the the national championship run. There's, you know, one individual who's here when you know with J.R. Ryder, every gray days, the the the, the um, you know, those programs. Um, talk to the people about I me. Mean, we talk about it. We're we're we inundate our listeners with what it was like back then. I mean, some of the hosts know about it. I lived through it, um, but you played through it. The energy level that this place used to bring every single night, whether it was a Tuesday, whether it was a Thursday, a Saturday night, it did not matter. An afternoon game on CBS Live, Vital calling the game, it did not matter. There was always energy in this building. Take us back to those days, Mark. Well, probably the number one game that I remember, Willie, is uh, playing against Navy. And that game, I think, is still the highest highest crowd total of like 20,000 fans, and it only holds 18-5. And to walk into that arena 
you could just feel the electricity. It was David Robinson, best player in the country, was coming to town. Um, and you just got this, this little electric shock in your body because you knew that, you know, a game night, that being in the Thompson Mac was the place to be. Um, and I think a lot of the fans of the new people who have moved to Las Vegas don't understand the history. And like I said, I wish these kids could just feel walking out of that tunnel and there's 20,000 people standing and the, and the school anthem is going. That is just an incredible feeling and an incredible high as you're coming out of the locker room. One of the things also that back then, right, in 86, 87, 88, those, those days, Mark, was it wasn't just inside the arena and the fans. It was places and, and, and sports bars and nightclubs. This was before the very first ever club uh, was established inside of a hotel and official after parties in conjunction with a concert that may be coming up. Uh, D- the old school legend DJ Rob doing an after party at Tramps or Botany's and you and L. Hud making an appearance. I mean, these are things that were part of the norm where now is there so much going on in Las Vegas that maybe there are businesses that have forgotten also about UNLV? Well, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a couple things that are working. One is the influx of new people who have no connection to the Valley, right? That's the main thing. And then a lot of the casinos have become corporate. So with that corporate entity, and I don't know how the marketing is done at UNLV, but one of our biggest backers was Steve Wynn, um, and then also uh, Station Casinos. Have these companies back and support you. They're the ready fan base right there with their employees. And uh, I don't know how you get back to having the community uh, get reconnected because with the with the Vegas Knights, with the Las, Las Vegas Raiders, I think those two entities take away some of the fans. But to me, there's nothing like a college game, college atmosphere, and having the community support the college team. Like, like I said, and I don't know the marketing and how it's done now, but somehow they need to touch these youngsters when they're in elementary, middle school, and high school to get them start back coming, making an event, and you know, William Steve, coming to a Rebel game in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, it was it was a social thing. Like you right. said, there were after parties. DJ Rob, live remotes on Thursday night, back with KCP, was 88.1, would have live remotes. We went to those things, and there was a, just a connection to the community. Yeah, it was uh, it was a time to be. It was it was I I I, I often compare it to Sunday night Laker games, home games in the Lakers. A lot of people, you know, the weekends in L.A. But the Sunday night Laker games, I mean, you were dressed to the nines, you were sitting, you know, and everybody was there. And then the after parties, and the same thing here, Gucci Row, wherever you were sitting and acknowledging everybody. And the, and the next thing you know is going to the nightclubs or going to the after party, whether it was Mr. G's or Tramps or Botany's or Premier or whatever the place was. Um, it was always the place to be in. You could always count on, on, on some of you guys showing up and, uh, and, and being part of that. i got to ask you, I'm going to put you on the spot now because uh, we talk about history a lot on this show and the Late Night Podcast with Steve. Um, I want to know in your time here who the hands-down, on-and-off-the-court, talent, locker room, greatest running rebel you ever played alongside and then who you consider to be the all-time greatest running rebel. Mm, that's, a, that's a hard one. If you're doing the total package on and off the court, probably in the, the person I've really connected with a lot lately, too, is Gary Graham. Okay. Gary embodied the hard work coming from Baltimore. Gary Graham probably was the most well-rounded on and off the court, articulate, 
um, was a community guy, tough as nails off the court. Um, but Freddie was my best friend playing at UNLV. We were Batman and Robin. We stayed together. We hung together. I went to church with the Banks family. Um, so Freddie probably, like I said, just because he was such a dynamic player and such a good person off the court, between Gary Graham and uh, Freddie Banks, but the greatest rebel of all time, honestly, really that is probably the toughest question ever. I would yeah. have to give you a couple of people. Um, one, my teammate, because I truly believe Armin gave us all confidence and a physical toughness because of his presence, that he's definitely one of the top three Rebels. Um, the late great Armin people, Gilliam. Yeah, two other people i like to touch. Um, Sidney Green. Yes. Um, just legendary things he did on, on the court and the way he carried those early 80 teams. And then uh, Reggie Theus. I mean, and then I mean, I, and then Richie Adams. You're talking about Reggie exactly. Theus, Sidney Green, and, and then Larry Johnson, and then LJ. And and let me point out, let me point out to the listeners that Mark Wade touched upon eras, and before he got to Larry Johnson, who came, he was a JUCO transfer that led the Runner Rebels with Stacy Ogman and Greg Anthony and Anderson Hunt, um, that led that team to the national championship, he re- he just reeled off a- and worked his way backwards with with some with some Rebel greats that I watched at the Convention Center Rotunda and Reggie Theus, Sidney Green here at the Thomas and Mack, as you mentioned, and of course you, Gary Graham, Freddie, some great, great stuff. Lastly, let's let's touch upon Jerry Tarkanian in the impact that he had on you and maybe Share an anecdote with us in, in what you what you saw this man do for, you know, others and, and just the impact he had on lives. Well, you, you take first of all, Coach was a personality. Forget the basketball. He was a personality which the city gravitated to. And then he became synonymous with Las Vegas. And then the program became synonymous with Las Vegas, which helped because I know for a fact they used our basketball program as a marketing tool. But, uh, Coach was, coach was different, um, and I, probably one of the greatest things I've seen that, that kind of says who Coach was and how he coached and how he saw us as players. I'm not going to give names of the players, but there was after I got out of school, there was a, a big fight during a coach's clinic between a co- couple of players. They had all the high schools in town, college, high school coaches in town, and UNLV's practicing, and a fight breaks out, you know, because the competition is fierce, and they're going back and forth, and a couple guys – and these two guys are actually really good friends. So as the fight's breaking out, Coach has a headset on talking to 300 coaches in the stands. Now, you could see the coaches dumbfounded that he's continuing to talk. So the fight may have lasted, let's say, 10 seconds, 15 seconds. But Coach continued to do his clinic as the fight's going on, and then all of a sudden practice resumed like there wasn't just fisticuffs between two players on the court. And I tell people... UNLV, the practices were harder than the games because of that competition, because of the level of talent between the first man and the 10th, 11th, 12th man was a lot closer than you than most people knew. And so one of the things Coach was, was good at was having you get in that practice court and leave your, stuff, leave your stuff on the court because you might not be in the lineup on game night. So that's probably the greatest thing I've seen Coach do. Great, Coach Tarkanian was very meticulous in his practice plans, and very meticulous in the drills that he had us do. That I used to think, why are we doing this dumb drill? And as you start watching us play, you see these drills uh, 
they kind of led into what we did on the basketball court. So coach was a great practice, great practice coach. Mark, I appreciate your time. Real quick, tell us, you, you got you got a new venture going on out there, and there's a funny story behind that with you and I. We'll share a different time, but as far yeah. as how I came to learn that this morning, tell us what you got going out there in Cali before we let uh, you go. Been, been a limo driver for about uh, 11 years, and about six months ago started my own, own limo company called Show & Go Limo. Uh, it's in its infancy, uh, but definitely it's nice to be a partner in a lot of the jobs I do now instead of being an employee. And uh, it's been pretty exciting. I've met some interesting people over the, over the last few years, and I've now met some celebrities that I've become friends with that I drive on a regular. And uh, it's been pretty cool. Mark, hey, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Let's get you on later in the season. That was a really good conversation. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it. Thanks, Will. All right, my guy. There he is, Mark Wade, part of one of the greatest teams in the history of the program. Some people say hey. that that team – put that up against the national championship i, I know I that there's totally there's i totally buy it man that yeah. the the indiana game had it not been for alford having a big game freddie banks was a freaking monster but they lost in that final four you know the funny thing is we uh we did our podcast last night dc and the sunshine man podcast yeah. and it was dave Koken's 69th birthday so I, I talked to dave a lot about you know his his history with vegas he had some great old gambling stories from back in rhode island oh, too last night was great but we were talking about tark because dave was saying uh, when he first got to town and then, uh, you know, he, he was here in 81 and then, you know, as things really started to pick up 86, 87, then into the Larry Johnson teams, um, they would do three and four hour lead in pregame shows yeah. on radio. Yeah. That's how big it was in the community. And then we started talking about Tark. And I swear to God, we were talking about Robert Smith and I was mentioning. And by the way, if there's any game you're going to come to the rest of the season, the 19th of February is Robert Smith Jersey retirement night. Mm. Come to that game because yeah. Robert is not doing great. You know, Robert had a stroke a couple of years ago, and I mean, talk about a great guy. He, Robert Smith is one of the all-time great guys, basketball or not. But I was mentioning, uh, you know, the the, the Tark ways, right? And I said Robert told me, "Hey, practices were harder than the games." Yeah. And then Mark just said just the said same thing that yeah. you know, those are eras, you know, that are eight, ten years apart. But it was the same thing when you went to practice, and it wasn't. It wasn't the offense that any of these guys talk about. No, the amoeba defense. Yep, it was defense, and if you weren't playing defense at practice, then you were, you were going to get kicked out. Yeah. You know, no, was, all these teams, you know, the Harvey 8 team, it's like, you know, no three-pointers, 100-plus points. That's not what mattered. What mattered was the defense that led to the easy runouts. And that's what he was known for, you know, and uh, his relationship with John Thompson. I mean, John Thompson had credited him with, you know uh, – the way that he taught his defensive ways. And what's funny is one of the greatest uh, high school coaches in the history of the state, Bill Bobeer, who was Freddie Banks' coach, that's what made it a natural transition from Valley High School to UNLV for Freddie because of the style of coaching and the care in which the manner in which the toughness on the court, but the care in which he had for his players. Bill Bobeer was a similar character as Jerry Tarkanian, um, and man, just, I, I love catching up with Mark. One of the realest old school guys that, and, and you know what, see, I, I've, I've shared this on the podcast before my first ever published article with the very first media affiliation at 18 years old, 1987 in the state's only black newspaper, the cover, the owners were the parents of Lee Strother, Julian Strother's father. So Julian Strother's uh, grandparents, 
The cover story was a one-on-one interview with Mark Wade. We did it in his apartment, which was a UNLV apartment right around the corner on Flamingo in Maryland. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. Giveaway time, 364-1100, caller 7, caller 7, 364-1100. Tickets to Tool. Concert coming up January 22nd, January 22nd. Tool, you can get your own tickets at AXS.com. But right now, Ari's got a pair. Caller 7 to go see Tool, 364-1100. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. Four o'clock football frenzy is presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. All right, back here at the Thomas and Mac. Eight o'clock start for the game against Fresno. Uh, if you just heard the interview with Mark Wade, former Rebel legend from the 80s, that was freaking cool. And then during break, or during the break, uh, Willie and I were just completely nerding out on uh, old school basketball and uh just how lucky we were to get to start watching going way back into the 80s yeah. and telling stories. And you were talking about, what, watching AAU basketball? That you, you watched Pearl Washington before he was at Syracuse. Yeah. So I would fly. So when I left town, I would, I would fly back in because my stepfather worked for the airline. So I'd get to fly in for five bucks service, uh, service fee. And um, my old PE coach was, became sort of like a mentor to me. And he would get me passes. My grandfather would drop me off at the South Gym. And that year, I think it was like, eight, I want to say it was 82. Um, 82 or 83, but I went to the South Gym and befriended Dwayne Pearl Washington. I'll never forget, they were that team. The New York City Gauchos were staying at the Landmark at that point. And, and that was during the summer. And then that following winter in Minneapolis, where I lived, I was watching a Saturday CBS game, and he was being interviewed, I believe, by Brent Musburger, and there he was, Syracuse's new prize recruit, Dwayne Pearl Washington. So it was, it was really cool. But those are some old school days, man. Carlin Hartman, one of the UNLV assistants, is here with us just laughing at us. We're old. No, We're no, old. But we, no, love, no. we love basketball. I'm sure you have a lot of experience of, like, you know, oh. first seeing or meeting some, you know, great all-time basketball player, and you never forget it. No, I remember uh, just growing up in New York State. I grew up in Buffalo. Okay. And so the Empire State Games were a really big thing, uh, which was like an Olympic-style event, and every uh, region had, um, you know, their you know, different teams. Uh, there was a Scholastic Division and an Open Division. The Open was more of a pro-like, and Scholastic was high school. And so I remember going to – uh, playing it a couple of times, and Pearl was playing for New York City. Okay. Um, you know, um, and, and Western New York was uh, uh, people like Christian Leitner, uh, uh, Trevor Ruffin, Keith, uh, Keith Robinson. Uh, we had some really good teams. Obviously, New York City was loaded. I remember those Riverside Church uh, teams. I played against Jamal Mashburn and um, Orlando Antigua. Um, uh, it, it, was, uh, just, uh, it was an awesome time. So what's it like for you now? As you're coaching in the last game, and you're like, there's Mass Jr. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, yeah, oh, yeah. my God, what's happening? It all, it all comes back to you. Yeah, you just right. start thinking about those times when you played against, uh, you know, the, the fathers of people that yeah. were now recruiting their kids. So I wonder how different it is. Listen, like, I like playing basketball. I wasn't very good at it. Uh, you were a real basketball player. You played in college. Um, 
What is it like when you're an aspiring basketball player and you get to meet you know one of these legendary guys, even if they're only like four or five years older than you? Yeah, I mean it's 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 amazing. It's a thrill. I remember you know again growing up in Buffalo, uh, we we didn't have an NBA franchise. We had the Bills and we had the Sabers, but uh, we would always get one or two NBA preseason games coming through. So. Um, I remember a time uh, just going to see the Lakers. They were playing the Pacers, and uh, well, a, a former Canisius player, Mike Schmeck, played for yeah. Canisius, and he got a pass, a no-look pass from Magic Johnson. He dunked it, the crowd went crazy. <laughs> uh, there's another time when uh, Jordan and the Bulls came, oh, wow. and uh, everybody stayed at uh, the Hyatt Hotel, which was right downtown Buffalo, and so we knew that that's where the Bulls were, and so me and, uh, and uh, my friend, uh, my best friend at the time, and uh, his father, we all went down to the hotel. Jordan and the Bulls come walking through. Jordan's the last guy. I have my piece of paper ready for him to sign it, and I just froze. Ah. And my best friend, he stole it from me, and he went up to Mike, <laughs> and he shoved it right in his face. So I froze. He got the autograph, and uh, the rest is history. Oh, my God. Uh, we're going to take a quick time out here. We're going to reset. When we come back, we are going to talk Rebel basketball, but maybe the most important thing that we're going to discuss with Carlin is the Buffalo Bills. Uh, they have a playoff game coming up, and this is, a, this is a show that probably talks way too much Buffalo Bills, but we're going to do it with the coach on the way back. Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the 4 o'clock football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher, and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune-up today by calling 577-2600. You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, let's do it. we got a good uh, 15, 20 minutes here to break down some UNLV basketball, some Buffalo Bills. Uh, if we want, we could probably do another 90 minutes and close out the show with basketball nerddom from the 80s because we were just talking about it with uh, Carlin Hardman, one of the UNLV assistants. Willie's here. So you guys, uh, during the break, we were just talking about Mark Wade a little bit and uh, – well, you know, we UNLV ties. What's funny is just, you know, talking about old school basketball and you talk about the very first person, you know, the people that you remember and you bring up Pearl. But my first sort of interaction with basketball was the UNLV, the Hardway 8 uh-huh. at the Rotunda, mm-hmm. going there with a former reporter in Las Vegas, Aileen Voice, and she used to take me and I'd sit there and um, – one of the first persons I ever had interaction with didn't know it was him at a UNLV football game and, in, and told my mom, bring him down to the South Gym. I'll introduce him to everybody, especially Sweet Lou Brown, because I I, <laughs> he was like the guy, right? He reminded, he was like the epitome of everything you saw in the, movie, the show, The White Shadow. So I was like, oh, really? <laughs> Turned out it was Robert Smith. And now his jersey's going to be retired, as Steve mentioned, on February 19th. You played in the CBA with Mark Wade, and you were making mention. So feed off of that before we touch on today's Rebels and tonight's game. When you were growing up, or when you got to college and then the CBA, just but the UNLV program back then, on the East Coast, the impact it was having. Yeah, it's... I, I said this ever since I um, accepted a job, and I think you and I talked earlier uh, in the springtime. The, the thing I remember the most about UNLV basketball, you know, when you grow up in upstate New York, you're, you're a Syracuse fan. You know, um, in western New York, central New York, you, you, are, you live and breathe with the orange. Um, St. Bonaventure's 90 minutes down the road. That was the second biggest program in the western New York area. UNLV basketball at that time, you know, was um, – what Gonzaga is kind of today, um, with the exception no national championship for the Zags, but ch- championship here. And we would watch these games, and it, 
the the Big West games on Monday nights, they were they would normally start around eleven o'clock Eastern time, and I was always you know you know a little bit late to school on a Tuesday because I was watching the Rebels play against the Gauchos, and I'd see the tortillas being thrown you know after the first basket, um, and and then you just didn't as when you're growing up in the East Coast you think the Big East. And you think about all those great teams, but you, didn't, you really didn't realize like how special basketball was out here. But UNLV was like this mythical program. It was almost like larger than life. Um, the one versus two, Arkansas, UNLV. Um, I was a freshman at Tulane at the time, and we were all looking to make sure we didn't have a game that day because we wanted to watch it. You know, so uh, UNLV basketball, you know, for a guy from Western New York, was huge back then, uh, just like it is for me now. Yeah, Willie was asking me during the break, he's like, what would you know about UNLV basketball uh, mid, you know, late 80s? And I was like, I- I'm a kid in New Jersey. I'm like, why would I know what the Thunderdome was or the Pyramid? Yeah. But that, that was the, the late night game, and you're like, holy crap, this is unbelievable. And I'm so glad you mentioned Gonzaga and just the style of play. I mean, yeah. how many teams go up against BYU and they're like, oh, you want to go up-tempo with us? <laughs> uh, okay. They scored 110 on them. <laughs> Would have had 61 and a half, right? Yeah. It was 110-84. BYU had 10 threes in the first half, played pretty like, well. BYU didn't yeah. play that badly, yeah. and they still got run off the freaking uh. floor. All right, well, let's talk about what you guys are trying to build here. And these are really interesting times because you can do it a bunch of different ways. Like, I think Gonzaga does a good job of, you know, having guys who are three- and four-year guys, and then they augment beautifully with transfers. I'm guessing that's going to be your plan. And I, I want to get your reaction through 15 games, how you think it's working so far with, the, you know, the mix of the guys who return. You know, like Marvin Coleman and, most importantly, Bryce, and then some of the newcomers. Some of the newcomers have been really good, and especially Donovan Williams. Yeah. He's, he's just yeah. about there in terms of being super consistent as, you know, a lead dog along with Bryce. When, I, when Kevin and I talked and I said, hey, I want to come with you and help you get this thing going, there were three players that we had uh, com- committed to come back. Well, really two at the time. It was, it was recent. It was Marvin. Uh, and Bryce was still kind of up in the air trying to figure out what he was going to do. Uh, so I knew we had to get to work right away. And uh, fortunately, Jordan McCabe was the first, followed by Royce and then Donovan, and then just a wave of guys uh, that, um, you know, really bought into what our vision is, has been, and what it is going to be as we move forward. We're going to be transparent with these guys. We're going to be very honest with these guys. But we also want to make sure that we, that we let them know that we're going to give them opportunities, you know, to do the things in which we – know that they were capable of doing we saw them out of high school uh, obviously we have four big 12 transfers on our roster and myself coming from the big 12 kevin and having his experience in the big 12 we had relationships with those kids um when they were in high school so we we had known them uh we had a relationship with justin webster uh, you know we had a relationship with david walker through brandon Chappelle. so um I, i'm really proud of where these guys are because if you just kind of look at it steve you know, we, you know, pretty much built the program, uh, built the roster within six weeks. And uh, for the guys to be able to gel and do what we're doing right now and playing, I would say, you know, pretty good basketball is a testament to them. It's, a, it's also a testament to the fact that we've, you know, made sure that we bring it, brought in guys that not only want to be at UNLV, but, you know, love being in the gym and love basketball. There's something to the buy-in, too, that's interesting, the process of the buy-in. And... As a coaching staff, you have to have confidence to be able to lose games. Sometimes, you know, might not be the most pleasant thing. And, you know, I'll go back a couple of years. You weren't around when T.J. Altsberger was here. But, you know, he had some, some difficult times early on. And he's just like, hey, you're not going to play. Yeah. You're not doing what I want to do. And yeah. I saw you guys doing the same thing early on. Hey, 
you leverage playing time and you send a message to guys, hey, if you're not doing what we need in our culture, then you're not going to play and we may lose games. Our shot selection early on, even though we won the first three games, was not very good. Uh, then we played Michigan. The shot selection stayed uh, where it was in those first three games. And in the Wichita State game, we you know, had one field goal the last 10 minutes of that game in a game in which we felt like we should have won. So you know, we kept on going back and we just looked at the, the shots that we were taking, the quality of looks. Uh, they weren't very good. And so, you know, we, uh, Coach uh, Kevin did a great job of, you know, saying these are the shots in which we're going to take. These are what works, you know, and, uh, you know, long contested twos were no-nos, you know, uh, one-footed runners, uh, shots on the first side of the offense, no good, you know. And so, um, it, like you say, you know, we, we he put his money where his mouth is and, you know, two of the biggest offenders at the time, you know, were Bryce and Donovan. And so uh, they sat. And we played a different lineup, and it, we took our lumps, uh, you know, for uh, about a game and a half. And then uh, once those guys, you know, started to buy back in and a credit to them, and normally I wouldn't, you know, bring up guys' names like that, but I want to give those guys credit for right. being able to buy in to what uh, Coach Kruger and our staff was telling them, like, hey, listen, you guys are good players, but you got to take better shots. And better shots also lead to shots at the, on the rim, which leads to you, you, you being able to set your defense. So there were no more – there hasn't been as many surprise shots as we move forward you know, throughout these last uh, uh, six, seven games. And I think we've been playing a lot better because of our shot selection. So for you, what's the next step with, with Donovan? Because he seems to be right there. He had a great efficient game this yeah. last time out. I think he's averaging like 22 a game over his last four. Uh, maybe most important, he's actually concentrating, you know, most of the time on defense too. Yeah, yeah well, the, the biggest thing I think with Donovan is, you know, for him to, um, you know, become an even better defensive rebounder. Um, I think he's got the length, he's got the athleticism to be able to go out and, you know, get himself, you know, five to six defensive rebounds, you know, per game. Um, you know, the other game against, uh, last game against New Mexico, obviously he was very efficient, 10 or 12 from the field. He missed more free throws than he did field goals in the game. Um, but he, um, uh, he, he can rebound better. Uh, I, I think he can, you know, really sit down and he can guard people. I think he's very versatile in that regard. Um, the great thing about him is he just submitted to, you know, the coaching, the buy-in, you know, from him. Um, he turned it around after the Seattle game when he didn't have a, a, as great of a game. He came back with 32 against Hartford, and he's been trending in the right direction ever since. And it's not just the fact that he's taking the right shots. He's been playing the right way. Um, and he's, you know, doing it in an efficient manner in which he's not, uh, you know, having to take 20 shots a game. He's doing it on, on either anywhere from 8 to 12. You know, I hear a lot of things from coaches, and I, you know, I've heard some of those things in in post games where you're like, "Hey, you just take it for granted." One of the things I'll, I'll point out is Kevin Kruger mentions a lot that these guys really like basketball. You mentioned they really like being a gym. Kevin says that all the time. Is that not the case with most teams? Like, like from year to year, and 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 from guy to guy, do you like at a certain point you're like, eh, "He just doesn't love basketball that much." Yeah, I mean, you you just have certain. See, I've been around it. This is year 22 for me, and I've seen cases in which you know, you know, people are, will say, you know, you know, you're going to be a great athlete. You're going to be a great player. Well, you know, this is what's been told to that particular person for so long. You know, maybe that's not what that person loves. Um, and so it's an really, it really is important to find, you know, that right mixture of guys that you know are gym rats and and, and guys that have you know. Uh, 
an elite talent or elite skill that you know may just like basketball and may not love it as much. Sometimes you know, just there, there's people out there in this world, um, not just in our sport, that are more talented than yeah. others. Well, I'll, I'll cut in for a second. I think the biggest challenge is with big men because sure. they're, they're always big, right? They're they're the biggest guy in AAU. They're the biggest guy mm-hmm. in uh, in high school. I'll, again, you want to nerd out? I'll go way back. Um, I got to watch as he was prepping. Luther Wright. I don't know if you remember oh, him. Un- unbelievable. I mean, just a man-child, 7'2", 290 pounds mm. in high school. But, you know, his whole career was like, Luther really wants to be in the band. Like, I'm not mocking him. He no. just was not, yeah. um, you know, that passionate about basketball. And then you guys have the benefit of having a dude who's your leader, mm-hmm. who when I watch him, mm-hmm. like there are times I was sitting on the floor, and I, you know, I'm on the floor for a lot of the games, but I was sit- sitting on the floor and watching Royce Ham in the lane and I'm like he is going to crack someone in the head with his head yeah. like he plays so he's just he's a whirling dervish in there like I don't know if that's stuff you can teach no no <laughs> like he's scary like, no, no, I, like no, the other big guys who do that for, no. for some big guys you're like whoa whoa bro no no, no. no he's and, and he probably showed it in the first game that we played against Gardner Webb in which he had I believe 17 rebounds it's one thing you know to you know have you know do blockout drills and do all these different drills uh, rebound and go in and get the ball and so forth. I mean that guy goes and when he gets a rebound, he'll get it in his area, he'll get it out of his area, and he'll 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 knock someone around to make sure that he has the ball and sometimes that does lead to you know foul trouble and so forth but I, I would rather take that than you know you know trying to force somebody into you know you know being physical and and being uh, something in which they're not. And Royce is all of it what we've expected and then some. My uh, my right knee's locking up. I stood up and now I'm looking eye to eye. You and I'll be assisting. We're not, we're not the tallest <laughs> show. Carlin's Carlin a little taller than us. Uh, you know, you, you talked about you know loving basketball, and I and I have to wonder with the first year staff and and these guys and bringing them together. Um, it, it there it's such a it's such a tough process because you're dealing with a program that, as we've talked about, that's so historic and trying to get the fans back and trying to create and develop a winning atmosphere. But the process of teaching a crew to be competitive mm-hmm. and to compete as one mm-hmm. is different than teaching them how to win. Yes. And you have to develop that along the way mm-hmm. before you can become a winning program. And you have such impatience outside the doors of this arena that where are, where is this program at with the staff, the team collectively in terms of the competition level than the competitive that it runs out that tunnel with before it has the winning yeah, attitude? That's, now that's a great point because people don't really see, you know, once we got the group together in June, all the different uh, trials and things in which we were trying to, you know, mix in different combinations of players here, players there, and – like you say, you know, some guys came from places where they didn't have as big of a role uh, as they do now. And so they had to learn how to be, uh, you know, everyday guys, you know, had to learn how to, you know, have a routine. Um, in the summertime, we get four hours a week with them as coaches. And during the season, we get 20. Well, there's still a lot of time for you to get better, even when it's not around us. So that's where, you know, we were able to, you know, be able to get guys that we know want wanted to have this success in which they may not have had at other places. The process in trying to get a group of guys that have never played together and, you know, and, and, and try to win a basketball game is a lot tougher than what it looks like if you're just, you know, uh, a, a, a fan of the game and, and you come and you see, um, you know, we have to, you know, put together uh, different schemes, schematic, schematical things on the offensive
offensive and a defensive end. You know, there's a, you know, obviously tonight when we play against Fresno State, Robinson, you know, Las Vegas kid, he's a terrific talent, terrific player. You know, we have to do certain things defensively, you know, to make him uncomfortable and so forth. All those things, you know, started in June, and they take a lot of time to build. And so we are finally now at the point where we can have shorter practices because our guys know how hard they need to go. They understand and they know the importance of the scout. They they understand the importance of why we're doing a particular drill, you know, and why we're going so hard, you know, when we're doing different types of shooting drills. Because you can't just walk through and do a shooting drill. You have to sprint because that's going to create a habit of when you're in the game, having your feet set quickly before a guy closes out and so forth, you know. And so it takes time. It does. It really does. And I love where we are, where we're going, uh, you know, right now. I really like how we're playing. We've got a tough one tonight. Uh, but the thing I do know is that, you know, based on, the, you know, look, looking back at the San Diego State game, and I think all you guys know, if we did a better job of putting our body, you know, on those guys on, on, on the uh, defensive end, we pro- probably have a different result. Yeah. You know, and if, it, if, if that's, you know, where we are right now, that can be corrected because we'll find the right people in order to be able to do so um, because we only lost by three possessions in that particular game. Garland Hartman, one of the uh, UNLV assistants, is with us. Last couple minutes, uh, let's concentrate on a couple more Fresno points. I'm not saying they're San Diego State, but, you know, the style is similar. Justin Hudson, you know, coach here at UNLV, but he also was reared under the guys at San Diego State, and they do have a good big in Orlando Robinson, but um, it's a super bouncy team. They like playing defense, and they were a tough matchup last year. It wound up being a split last year but all these games are usually dog fights because they, they you want to talk about a team that loves to throw it up on the glass and go get it that's fresno yeah. state yeah, well, and that's a big point of emphasis too and you know we talked a little bit about just the history of coach uh justin and uh you know with our guys that you know are not familiar with fresno state or are not familiar with him this is going to be very similar to san diego state it may not be san diego state on steroids but it's going to be san diego state ish uh in justin's you know um uh, way of doing things now but uh we got to block out uh, we got to secure that ball with two hands. Uh, we got to, you know, make sure we do a good job of taking care of the basketball, getting shots up on the rim. Um, and, you know, lastly, you know, we got to do a good job of challenging, you know, them and, you know, trying to keep them under a certain, you know, percentage so that we can have an opportunity to run out and do the things in which we're really good at using our athleticism, you know, using our speed and so forth. Carlin, it's, you know, we, we've, we've, talked about this so many times steve and i and steve and, and part of the com- uh, the other members of the company is getting butts in those seats and there's so much going on with the marketing in initiatives to get the students out here you're an assistant coach you're a basketball player you've been in this for 22 years as you said you remember the old school days from the big east to the pcaa <laughs> they want a winning program yeah. in order to get out here but in order to get these guys energized in close games against tough rivals, they need an energetic crowd. Talk to the people. Let them know. Explain to them why they need to be out here on a Friday night. Uh, shameless plug. I all love right, it. Right, right. <laughs> I'll take it. Huh? No, I mean, like, in all seriousness, I mean, I just think this is, this is a team that, you know, if you come out here and you're able to watch, you'll be proud. It's a workmanlike team. It's a workmanlike attitude. Steve, you talked about Royce Ham. You know, people would love to watch Royce Ham. 
you know, he, he doesn't – he's not going to score 15 points a night, but he's going to give you everything he's got on the defensive end of the floor. He's going to give us 10 to 12 rebounds per night, and he's going to give us major effort. You know, Donovan Williams, if you've seen us in the past, you know, from where he started at the beginning of the year to where he is now, that is the evolution of a kid, you know, who has – you know, really learn how to be able to adhere to coaching um, and uh, and also has now started to gain confidence. You know, he is what we are trying to build right now, today, and as we move forward with, you know, this, this, this program. And lastly, if you love scoring, obviously, I mean, Bryce Hamilton is one of the best there is in, in the Mountain West and, and, and on the West Coast. He's a fun player to watch. Uh, he can really get it going. Um, you know, and we, we just have guys that I think that, you know, the crowd and, the, and, the, and people would be very proud of, you know, the, to call their own. And I know before the, the Raiders and the Golden Knights came, you know, UNLV basketball, you know, was the big hot item ticket. The thing I didn't realize, you know, was that, um, you know, with our non-conference, that was the first winning non-conference in uh, four or five years, so if I'm not mistaken. Um, that was shocking to me because everything in which we talked about earlier – the history of the you know of the program, in my opinion, you know, was just this mythical thing, you know, and I've always not just thought about UNLV as was synonymous with winning all the time, um, and I'm very glad to be here because I'm really gonna be excited to win. You know, those butts are in the seat and they're watching us, you know, compete for a Mountain West championship, whether it be this year or you know next year or here in the near future. Yeah, the payout's gonna be very cool. Well, we appreciate a couple minutes. We'll see you down on the floor in a few hours, okay? Look forward to it. Thank you guys for having me. There you go. Rebel assistant Carlin Hartman, 5 o'clock hours on the way. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas.